Welcome to the City of Refuge podcast, where our mission is to equip a diverse community of Christ followers to make him known. Hi, everyone. I'm Stephen Drea, and I'm a deacon here at City of Refuge. Um, Let me open us with a time of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for our congregation. Thank you that we get to belong to you. Um, Lord God, would you sanctify us through the reading of your word and through meditation on it. In your name I pray. Amen. So before I get started and we read the passage, I just want to give a little reminder of the purpose of the sermon, right? Um, This and the whole Sunday, really, it's a time for us to corporately be formed spiritually um, and for us to be putting scripture into practice together. Um, And also just a note, um, during the sermon, there's going to be a couple times where I ask you all to pray in groups of two to three, so you can go ahead and look around you who are the closest, who's the closest person or two, um, so you can save a little bit of time there. And then also, I'll be asking for some audience participation. Feel free to speak up during that. Um, this series that we're on is called Praying Like Jesus. And these words that we're going to be meditating on and reading um, are the very words that Jesus prayed to his father. Um, Last week, we were looking at John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to be continuing in that same prayer. It's the same prayer, just continuing on. Um, And so now we're going to hear John 17, verses 6 through 20. And Javon is going to read that for us. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and I have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in this world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I keep them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they, that, they may have been, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, your world, your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask them, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, 
Thank you, Javon. Today, I hope that we come to see the goodness of belonging to Jesus, that though we belong to Jesus, we are in the world, and because we're in the world, we need prayer. Um, I'll go ahead and start out with a note. Um, right, this passage, uh, definitely the first time that it is um, being read, Jesus is intending it. He has in mind his 11 disciples that are with him still, right? Judas has already betrayed him, and he has in mind these 11 disciples. But if you skip down to verse 20, right, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, right? Jesus is um, praying this also for everyone who will believe in him, um, through their word, right? And all of us have our discipleship roots back in the 11 disciples. So he's praying this also for us. Um, and so as we're talking about this, as we're meditating on this, just keep in mind that whenever I say they, it also, it also means we. So in the first half of this prayer, which is roughly verses 6 through 10, Jesus is reflecting on the goodness of us belonging to God. All of his later requests are rooted in this, right? This passage might feel a little bit, of, uh, a little bit convoluted, right? There's a lot of uh, yours they were and you gave them to me. There's a lot of moving around, talking about the name and the word and uh, the disciples. Um, and so, just to help uh, highlight a few things, I want to bring to the forefront two things. Um, and first, it's that God loves to give, give good gifts. And the second is I want to explore the three gifts that God gives to Jesus. Right? It's our belonging to him, his word, and his name. So starting with God delighting to give good gifts, right? These phrases of giving and receiving, of sending, these are repeated 13 times in these 15 verses, right? That's a lot of repetition. And you know that any time that Jesus repeats something again and again, it means that it's pretty core, right? We should be observing this, um, right? And what we see is that God loves to give good gifts. And because of this, we can ask God with confidence, knowing that he loves to do this. The first gift that God gives is that he gives the disciples to Jesus. In verse 6, it says, yours they were, and you gave them to me. And we, too, are given to Jesus if we have put our faith in him. And because we are given to Jesus, we belong to him. This is all about our identity. Right? Uh, we belong to the Father and to Jesus. And I want to take a note at, right now and, and just say, if you do not yet belong to Jesus, 
I would encourage you just to listen to the next few minutes and just observe the incredible goodness and truth that is here in the identity of the Father. When we belong to Jesus, his interest is also our interest. His glory is our good, and our good is his glory. Whatever we need, he is going to provide. And all the things that Jesus is going to ask for later, these are guaranteed. Because just think about it. How can an all-powerful God fail to provide what his perfect son is asking for those who belong to them both? The second gift that God gives is the word. The Father gave Jesus the word, and Jesus gave the disciples the word, and they gave us the word. He says in verse 8, I've given them the words that you gave me. And in verse 6, he says, they have kept your word. So when we belong to Jesus, we receive and we are changed by the word. His word here is in two different uh, Greek words that refer both to the specific words which Jesus was speaking, and all of those words we know are from God. And then it also means the overarching word, the logos, the idea that God has made a way to life in him through Jesus. So you can think of the specific words of Jesus and Jesus himself. And the third gift that we receive is, oh, sorry. <laughs> um, just one more note on the words, right? The disciples, they've received the specific words that Jesus gave, and they came to believe that those were the truth. And so they placed their faith in the word, and they've been kept in that overarching word. That is Jesus. Now, the third gift that God gives is his name. And this name isn't referring to a specific name like Jehovah or Yahweh or Jesus. This name is referring to God's character, right? Who he is. And we know that the ultimate expression of who God is, we've gotten to see in Jesus. So the, God, the Father gave Jesus his name, his character, and Jesus has shown God to us. He's shown that name to his disciples, and he placed them in that name. In verse 6, he says, I have manifested your name to the people you gave me. And in verse 12, he says, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. We've seen the character of God in Jesus, and we believed, and we're now placed into that name, the person of Jesus. So just with these thoughts about the goodness of belonging to God, I want us to take a couple minutes now uh, to get in your groups of two or three, and we're just going to take two minutes. Uh, there's going to be a song playing. Um, and I just want us to acknowledge and appreciate what, we've what we can receive from the Father and um, his character in his giving good gifts. So two minutes is short. If one of you guys prays for two minutes, how much time does that leave the other person? Zero. So you can keep your prayers pretty short. Okay.
Amen. So, God delights to give us good gifts, and Jesus has focused on these three huge gifts, that we belong to him, his word, and his name, or his character. Around verse 11 in the passage, we see a shift then. Jesus starts to shift his prayer to emphasize this distinction that he brings up between the world and Jesus' disciples. Jesus even describes his disciples in verse 6 as the people whom you gave me out of the world. And Jesus says in verse 9, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. And in verse 11, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And because of them being in the world, it seems that Jesus feels a need to pray for them. Before we get into that, I want to just have a side note and uh, so we can have a mutual understanding of what is the world that Jesus is talking about here. Um, this is actually an echo back to the world that John has been talking about throughout his gospel. Um, right, And it first comes up in John chapter 1, verse 9, uh, when he speaks about Jesus and he says, 
the true light, which gives light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This isn't just the physical earth so much, God's creation, right? Um, and more of what this means is it's the, the systems and the powers that oppose God, right? These have set themselves up here on earth and they rule here. And the people of the world, whether knowingly or unwittingly, align themselves with those powers in opposition to God. So there is hostility from the world towards God. But in spite of that, God loves the people of the world so much that he sent his only son into it, that whoever would choose his name instead of the world would have everlasting life. And this is the world that Jesus is talking about. So with that clarification, um, let's start talking about the prayers that Jesus has for his disciples, right? The status of being in the world, uh, but not of the world, is prompting him to pray for them. And just looking closer at these three petitions, and uh, so I, I want to look at these three prayers and what are they actually saying, and also why is he praying for them? That way we can emulate these prayers in our own times with the Lord. So Jesus has these three confident requests of God. First, keep them in your name. Second, keep them from the evil one. And third, sanctify them in the truth. So first, in verse 11, Jesus asks the Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Jesus wants them to remain in him, and he is a manifestation of God to us, and he wants his church also to, be, to belong to Jesus, to be in his name. He loves his disciples, and he wants them to be in relationship with him. It's as simple as that. But this creates an identity clash. I don't know if you can feel it, right? Do we belong to Jesus, or do we belong to the world? This is a really important question for us. The ways of Jesus are not the ways of the world. So we shouldn't be surprised when choosing Jesus puts us in tension with or in conflict with the world. I experienced this just this past week. I was on a walk, and there were a lot of houses that had political signs in their front yards. And I was feeling this tension, and I asked God, why do I have uh, such a hard time with choosing who to vote for in this election next week? And then I realized, wow, this should not surprise me at all, right? <laughs> it's completely ridiculous to think that 20%, let alone 50% of people would support all the values that are taught in God's word, right? We belong to Jesus, and the world's going to ridicule us for it, right? If you articulate those values that God has, somebody is going to ridicule you for it. A lot of people are going to ridicule you for it. Um, so I have this question for us. Do we go along with the world 
out of fear of that hate. And if you do, are you really not of the world, just as Jesus is not of the world? We need to orient ourselves with the word of God, and we need to pray for all disciples to choose to belong to Jesus. Jesus' second petition is, um, he asks the Father, keep them from the evil one. And he specifically clarifies that he is not asking him to take them out of the world. Being kept from the evil one does not mean that there won't be hardship because, right, Jesus says in verse 14, the world has hated them because they are not of the world. But in spite of that, Jesus wants us to remain in the world. There's going to be some danger here. So I want to just take a minute here and talk about what are some of the dangers that are present for disciples of Jesus in the world. And I want some audience participation. Just what are one word for some dangers that we can experience, that disciples of Jesus can experience in the world? Greed. Greed. Pride. Pride. Social media. Social media, yeah. Yeah, caring too much about your reputation? Absolutely. These are great answers. I'm just going to kind of uh, categorize these into two, two different groups. On one hand, we have things like verbal abuse, physical harm, rejection from other people, um, maybe rejection from your work, uh, imprisonment. And Jesus, in his mercy, may protect us from some of these. But these are actually the natural consequence of us choosing to follow him. On the other hand, we have sin and distraction. Right? The world wants us to worship the world. And so it's going to throw a lot of things at us to entice us. Right? To consume our attention and even consume our lives, right? And even some things that are, in a lot of ways, good or have good aspects to them, right? Financial security, our reputation, uh, respect from peers, uh, entertainment, the news. On one end of the spectrum, these can um, entice us even to disown Jesus, right? Stop following him. But on the other end of the spectrum, which is probably more likely for our congregation, right? they may simply make us less effective or distract us from the work that God has us to do, that he's called us to. And then, of course, you can get so distracted that we can stop seeing the amazing redemptive work that God is doing in the world because we're choosing not to put ourselves in the middle of that. And then we can start believing that the agendas of the world are really what we should be pursuing. Because those become a lot more visible when we're pursuing those distractions. So we need God to help us to remain in his character and not drift 
toward that of the world. Right? Will we belong to God or will we belong to the world? And finally, Jesus' third petition is sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Um, and that's in verse 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Jesus wants his disciples uh, and their lives to be changed by scripture, which is the truth. Right? I can witness that when I face scripture that seems challenging or even scary to try to put into practice, but then I finally get to a place of surrender, it is so sweet. The word proves so good and so true. And I just want to offer that as encouragement for you. Right? It can give life and joy, even if sacrifice is involved. And Jesus gives his words with the intention that the disciples would receive joy. He wants his disciples to go out into a world that's broken and dying because he has compassion and he loves the world. Verses 17 through 20 says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. The word sanctify and consecrate right, um, are both used, but in Greek, this is the same word that's being used here. It's exactly the same word each of those three times. And it has this same root word as holy, like back earlier when Jesus refers to his holy father. Um, and the meaning of this uh, sanctification is being set apart, and it implies for the purpose of God, for service to God. So that means that there's two parts, right? The first one is maybe what you typically think when you think of sanctification. That means that right, we love what God loves and we hate what God hates. But the second part, you might not always think about. It's that we're given over then to the service of God. For Jesus, this looked like, one, he lived a perfect life. He was perfectly pure. But then the second part was he was sent into the world and he died for the world. Right? He was clean for a purpose. The first part of this for us um, means that we have to hold God's word up as a mirror to our lives. How do you feel your life matches up to scripture? This isn't how you feel about your quiet times with God. Like, do I feel joy? Do I feel conviction? Do I feel God's presence when I have my quiet time with God? No, that's not what this is talking about. This is objectively, when I look at scripture, how does my life line up with it? And I can already tell you what the result is, right? I fall short, you fall short. There's no possible way 
for me to match up with the perfect word of God. Right? I'm incapable. I need Jesus. I need to surrender to him and to let him change me. I have no hope except him and his supernatural work. Not going to do it on my own. For the second part of this, right, being sanctified for service to God, let's think about a Bible. Would you use this as a doorstop? Maybe some of you would. Uh, but <laughs> would you, I, I went camping last week. Would I tear some pages out of this and use it for kindling in the fire? No, right? Um, I'd get some pretty shocked faces if I did that in front of you. Um, no, but also, on the other hand, should it sit safely on the bookshelf for safekeeping and not be disturbed? No. Now, this is for you to take with you, for you to read and use it frequently, right? So that you can let it change you. It's for a purpose. It's not only for, it's not, not only not for certain purposes, but it is for a really important purpose. And us too, right? In verse 18, Jesus actually is showing us what that is. It says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And this isn't a non sequitur, right? He is actually telling them the task that they are set apart for. We are to be sent into the world. If all of your deep interactions are with other Christians, or if you're among a lot of other non-Christians, but uh, you never witness to them, uh, or you rarely witness to them, then maybe you've changed Jesus' words from being not of the world to not being in the world. So have you allowed Jesus and his words to change you? Right? It's hard, but if there's even a, single, a small area of your life or thoughts that you are afraid to submit to scripture or ways of thinking, that's also important. If there's any of those that uh, you are afraid to submit to scripture, remember that the first section of this passage is all about how God freely gives gifts and it's about the joy that we have in belonging to him. Right? It's worth submitting every area of our lives to Jesus because of the incredible goodness of God who makes himself available to us. And in case you need any more convincing, just look at verse 13 in this passage. Jesus says, These things I speak in the world, that they might have joy, my joy, fulfilled in themselves. Right? The result of this invitation to sanctification in the word is so that the incredible joy of God would be filling us. What more can you want? Now we've looked at these three petitions, these three asks that Jesus has of the Lord. And you might be asking the question, who are we supposed to pray this for? Definitely, it's a prayer for yourself, and it's also a prayer for the church. If you are 
Um, it's a prayer for yourself if you're a disciple of Jesus. It's also for the church. Um, but also verse 20, I think, points us to an additional group. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You should be praying for your disciples as well and for their disciples. And some of us might be saying, I don't know that I have any disciples. But I would say even the youngest follower of Jesus can even be teaching the little that they know to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Any of us can be contributing to the discipleship of somebody else. So I want to challenge you this week to pray for five minutes every day for the church and for your disciples. And you can pray according to this model that we've been talking about. And I just want to have a final encouragement that because Jesus prayed these things, he's been praying these very things that you're also going to be joining in prayer. How can they not be guaranteed for us? So, just to end this time, I want us to go ahead and get started with today's time. Let's take these last seven minutes and pray for the church and for your disciples.